We left off in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8, learning about why God cast out the evil-mannered nations before the children of Israel. And last week, toward the end of the lesson, we referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. I read that to you, where Paul had written to the Corinthians not to keep company with sinners, and he named off fornicators, idolaters, extortioners, so forth. But not only to not keep company with them, but to put them away, get them out of the church, put them away from among them. And those would be people who refused to repent, even after the church followed Jesus' commandments to go to them privately with the matter, and then to go to them with a witness and then to bring it before the church. I think that's an assumption, a reasonable assumption we can make about why, uh, what preceded Paul telling this church, get rid of these people, quit associating with them. And that is that they had already taken those other steps and those sinners still refused to repent and wanted to continue in fellowship with the Corinthian church. I believe that's reasonable to conclude that. I don't think Paul would ever say, no, church, don't go to them privately. Kick them out first time you find out about it, because that would be against what Jesus taught the church to do. And for more details about the lesson last week or on any of our uh, lessons, you can rewatch on Facebook. Sister Alice does that sometimes. She'll say, I rewatched it at lunch today. But now we're going to look further at this question. What does it mean to company with someone or to keep company with someone. And it's important to know what this means when we try to understand why God told Israel to stay away from the heathen nations here in the Old Testament. And the word company means to mix up together. Now let's use a cooking example here. A cooking recipe is very specific in most cases, and it tells you what ingredients belong in a dish, and it tells you exactly how much of that ingredient to put in the mix, even if it means a pinch or a handful. That's, that is an amount in East Texas, and I think in West Texas as well. But any ingredient that does not belong in the dish should not be included, or you're not using the recipe anymore. And you may not like the end result of it. When my wife makes a Texas sheet cake, she knows exactly what goes in there. She doesn't need my help to figure it out either. And if she's stirring up the batter, and I happened to be standing next to her cutting up some raw chicken for supper later, We've already concluded there's not enough room for the two of us in the kitchen, so this is an entirely hypothetical situation, you understand. But I can promise you nobody would want any of that raw chicken to slip into that Texas sheet cake batter to keep company with her batter. Because if the raw chicken got mixed up in the cake batter, it would alter the taste of the chicken. Even if you say, well, it'd cook at 400 degrees for a half hour, yes, it would still alter the taste of the cake. 
And here's something else. And now this, this is a good application. We're thinking about the children of Israel not keeping company with sinners. We're thinking about you and me not keeping company with sinners. The rest of the cake batter would not make the raw chicken turn into cake batter, would it? No. It takes very little raw chicken to taint an entire batch of cake batter. I just know it would. It, the good cake batter keeping company with the raw chicken can no more change the taste of the chicken than a Christian can company with an idolater and change the idolater's bad manners into righteous ones. Only Jesus can make that change. And he was the only one who could truly afford to keep company with, it, with sinners without worrying about them rubbing off on him. Listen to the Bible testify about how Jesus could keep company with sinners without partaking of their sin. And it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, if you want to jot that down in your notes. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners. In other words, what's he doing keeping company with sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It was necessary that Jesus keep company with sinners so that he could call them to repentance. Now we, on the other hand, have a sinful flesh. We have a sinful nature. And we minister to lost people. We sinners who are saved by grace minister to lost people. That's one of the major missions of our church. And that is that the heartbeat of what God wants us to do is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We preach the gospel to lost sinners just like Jesus preached the gospel to the ones he sat with, to the ones with whom he kept company. But he didn't keep company with them and end up partaking of their sins because he is God. He came to call them to repentance. Now listen, when we preach the gospel, we're not trying to get sinners to keep company with us, but to keep company with Jesus. There's a huge difference. We're not trying to get people to join our church. That's not what we're trying to get people to do. We want them to keep company with Jesus and then... When they become Christians, if God leads them to join this church, wonderful. If he leads them somewhere else, that is just as wonderful. We'll miss them, but we want them wherever God wants them. So contrary to the belief and the practice of the majority of the religious congregations in this world, 
We're not trying to get people to join our church. That's a bad motive, even though you may say, well, Brother Andy, it'd be great if our church were filled. Oh, it would be, but not with goats. We want sheep. And when a goat comes in, when somebody who comes in who's an unbeliever, we direct them to keep company with Jesus by preaching the gospel to them that they might believe. We don't sugarcoat their sin and tell them how wonderful they are because we weren't wonderful either. When my grandpa taught me about the way of salvation, he was a Baptist preacher, and he didn't pull any punches. He loved his oldest grandson. That was me. But he didn't say, you know what, you're such a good boy. I don't need to tell you about Jesus. He knew I was a sinner just like anybody else was. But what we don't do, although we present Jesus to that drug dealer and Jesus to that adulterer and to the one who's addicted to pornography, to the thief and the liar and to the sloth, that's the lazy person, not the three-toed animal who hangs in trees. What we don't do is keep company with the adulterer in his sin, in his social life. We don't assign one of our elders to run around town with him and try to witness to him as he's trying to look after some other man's wife. We don't keep company with the drug dealer by riding around town as he or she sells that poison to other people for their own personal gain. We don't keep company with the thief by sitting in his car while he goes into Home Depot and steals a bunch of tools and brings them out to the car. You know, the best way Israel could witness to other nations was not to keep company with them, but to honor the Lord their God in all they did. And if you think it doesn't matter that your neighbor, who may be out watering their yard in the morning, sees you take your Bible to your car every Sunday morning and come to church and then come home and then do it again next week and the following week and then for years and then for decades. If you think that doesn't matter, you've underestimated how God works. That's the best thing you can do when they invite you to that pool party and say, hey, we're going to have a pool party on Sunday or any other day for that matter. Say, no, no thank you. I'm going to go to church. Or I'm going to sit at home, but I'm not going to that. Don't think that doesn't matter. But you know, this notion of keeping company with sinners and doing so as a church, misunderstanding this concept has led to a lot of church compromise. In some respects... The Lord's church ought to be the same everywhere, everywhere in this world. And yes, the people are going to look differently here than they do in Nigeria or in the Philippines. And yes, the construction of the building is going to be a little bit different here than it would be in Kenya or in Zambia. I didn't check the lows and high temperatures of any towns in Nigeria this morning, but you know Brother Wisdom and his church meet in a building that's wide open on the sides. It's not an enclosure. And they have a wonderful heater. The only problem is it only comes on in the summer. It's the sun. But that's where they go to church. 
Now, we get the temperature off about two degrees one way or the other in here, and somebody's not comfortable. We've grown accustomed to that, haven't we? Well, I can promise you there are people who get hot over there just like they do here, but they got used to it. And although the building of their church and the the, dress, the color of the clothing and the color of the skin and the languages and all of that will vary from country to country in most cases. What should always be the same in every church is the Word of God. Regardless of the language or the vernacular into which it has been translated, as long as nothing is added to it or taken away from it, then it should be the same. And because the Word of God is the same, then all of the doctrines that are taught in every one of the Lord's churches worldwide should be the same. You know, we believe the same doctrines that people who lived 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago believed all the way across the world in a different language. We believe those same doctrines here at Central Baptist Church in Maybank in 2023 because we're the Lord's church. And in the Lord's church, when truth is being sought, when that's what people hunger for, then only when there's a misunderstanding of God's word will there be a misapplication of God's word. Now, if somebody does it intentionally, that's a heresy we can't tolerate. But sometimes we misunderstand God's word, don't we? I have, and I've been corrected. And you know how I was corrected? Not by somebody who was a great speaker and a, a great persuader who convinced me to come to his side of the aisle or believe what he believes. It was somebody who just showed me in the Bible what it says and where I was wrong. So what should also be the same in the Lord's church Everywhere, here, Kenya, Nigeria, Philippines, Canada, everywhere else where the Lord's church assembles, is the hatred for sin and the love for righteousness, a scriptural view of human life that's lived out practically by the members of the Lord's church in that location. If I go to Brother Espeso's church in the Philippines, I can be confident that his church would not keep company with a man who is a thief any more than I would here in Maybank, Texas. I don't have to say, well, maybe the culture is different in the Philippines. It doesn't matter what the culture is in the Philippines or in the United States. What matters is what God's Word said. It says, thou shalt not steal. And I believe Brother Espeso believes that just as much as I do. However... Many, probably most churches, in their efforts to be welcoming and affirming and inclusive, they have deliberately kept company with sinners. And rather than a rebuke which leads to repentance, there's been acceptance which leads to affirmation of sinful lifestyles. That's not what you need. That's not what anybody who's watching, and I don't know how many people view this. It looks like we get, oh, 60, 70, 80 views on Facebook, and that could be people going, oh, okay, and scrolling past, or somebody watching a minute or two, or I don't know who all might watch a snippet of 
this message today. But I'm telling you, that's not what you need. You don't need us to affirm you. You need us to tell you the truth about you. You are a sinner, and you need to be saved. And to tell you anything less is not to love you like God loves you. And telling people to come as they are, this is a judgment-free zone like Planet Fitness, uh, where everyone is accepted. And so those people come as they are in all their sin, and they believe, they're led to believe, that if the church will accept them as they are, then God must accept them as they are. And in cases like that, the bad company the church keeps comes from the outside into the doors. But there have also been cases of bad company rising from within. Now remember, as we're studying this about Israel and about how they turned away from God and how their sin manifested itself and the many forms it took and the steps it took to get where they are now, we're learning about the church. Don't lose sight of that. We're learning about us. These aren't historical lessons that we might remember and we might not. These are Bible truths that apply to them and they apply to us now too. But there have been cases of bad company rising up from within the church as well. I know of a church in my area, and I'll just leave it right there because the Metroplex is a big area. You're not going to guess where it is. Where many of the local bigwigs attend. And there is a lot of money and a lot of political power and influence that convenes inside the doors of that church. And I have a family member by marriage, and he grew up in that church. And as an adult, with him as an adult, I got to do some Bible study with him, mainly about salvation. And he told me that he learned more about the Bible in our short time together than he learned in his whole life at that church. And I will tell you that that church does have the name Baptist on it which used to mean a little something. I'm not sure what it means anymore. It ought to mean a lot. We have it on ours. We're not ashamed to put it there. But it doesn't automatically mean that people are being taught right. And he classified the atmosphere at that church where he was raised from infant up through about 18. He called it fun and gun. And if you pulled up there, Facebook page, that's about what you'd see, a whole bunch of fun and gun with a Bible study slipped in here and there. And it was so sad to hear it because the pastor of that church has been there a long time. He's even older than I am. And he's had so many opportunities to preach the truth, to preach systematic doctrine like we start over here with the Genesis to Jesus class and tell you, like Brother Fulton said, this is a Bible. That's where we start. This is a Bible. And we go from there. Instead of thumbing through there and go, well, now I'm not going to preach that one. Old brother, old so-and-so, he's the he's a big city councilman, and I know he does that. I don't want to make him mad over here. No, that's one of our trustees. We don't want to offend him. 
you know, he's been involved in this or that. We'll pick something that everybody would love. That's not Bible study. That's cherry picking, isn't it? And we don't do that. Thank God. But I ha- and I have no doubt in that church there are some fine Christian people who love God. But there is no way that some of the people who go there ought to be able to continue to go if the Bible is being taught because they should not be comfortable in their sin. They should say, I don't want to go back there anymore. That pastor right there is preaching against sin. He's preaching against me. That's what people think, that we just search out their little secret sin and come up here and do a whole expose on it without calling their name. No. If you get your toes stepped on, that's God doing it, not us. We're just instruments. That's all we are. And you don't know how often we're stepping on our own toes either, do you? And if that pastor preached God's word without skipping the hard parts, which is what happens if you'll preach verse by verse, by the way. You won't skip the hard parts. You'll hit everything. If he preached God's word without skipping the hard parts, I can promise you this. He would have a smaller congregation. He would have fewer people on his staff. And he could probably sublease part of his church building because it's not going to be filled up every Sunday like perhaps it is now. And the ones who are left over would be the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They want to know their Bible better than they did when they came in that day. So the bad company who comes to the church from the outside and the bad company who rises up from within the church are both deceived. They think they will be accepted by God because they are accepted by their church. And here's a little secret that would be no secret to them at all if they knew God's word. People who, and this is for people who believe, well, God's going to accept me just like I am. Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Now this is Paul warning the Galatian church about false brethren. What's a false brethren? A false brethren is somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they're really not. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, that means influential, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. Listen to this. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Let me read you a literal translation of that, the Young's literal translation of that same, uh, of verse 6. I read you verses 4 through 6, but listen to the key part of that passage that I want to look at. And from those who were esteemed to be something, whatever they were then, it maketh no difference to me. The face of man, God accepteth not. For to me, those esteemed did add nothing. It didn't make any difference to Paul that these people were bigwigs in Jerusalem. 
Their social standing, the influence they had in Jerusalem, made absolutely no difference to Paul. And he and the apostles did not subject themselves or put themselves under the authority of these bigwigs when it came to doctrine, not even for an hour. They refused to keep company with them by allowing their false doctrines to mix with the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that something? Paul said, now Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, if anybody had any social standing, it was that guy. He didn't consider himself to be anything. He count, counted everything he had lost that he might win Christ. And so these people who came in, these religious bigwigs who came in to try to spy out the liberty of the Galatians or that they had in Christ in Jerusalem, which is what he was warning the Galatians about, he said, they didn't add anything to me. They didn't bolster my message. If uh, the, any of the former presidents were up here with me or uh, the governor of the state of Texas was up here with me, it wouldn't add to my message. It wouldn't make it more believable because God accepts no man's person. Nobody's going to stand before God and God say, oh, hey, hey, I know, hey, everybody else quiet. What did you say? No. They're going to stand, if they're unbelievers, they'll stand at the same judgment bar and be cast into the lake of fire with all unbelievers. Another passage is found in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We're talking about why you don't keep company with sinners. Why Israel disobeyed that is something else. Malachi 1, verses 6 through 8, it says... A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priests that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, we're talking about animals here, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? So Israel, are you listening? In church, are you listening? God accepteth no man's person. If the governor accepts no man's person in this matter in Israel, why would God accept any man's person? And you know, this would be a shock to most people who go to these all-inclusive, be-who-you-are churches. If God doesn't accept you as you are, then it doesn't matter if some feel-good church accepts you as you are. And there's only one way to be accepted by God, isn't there? And that's by becoming one with the one whom God accepts. There's one way to be accepted by God, and that's by becoming one with the one whom God accepts. We don't ask people to change who they are so we can accept them here. 
We preach the gospel to them as they are. Telling them that God does not accept them who they are, and there's not anything they can do about that, but that he does accept Jesus for who he is. Now listen how he does that. This is beautiful. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that is, in Jesus, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, here we go, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God made us accepted in the beloved by being in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus... You are accepted in the beloved. Because God said when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So if God is well pleased with Jesus, if he accepts Jesus and I am in Jesus, guess what that does? God accepts me. That's how I'm accepted in the beloved. God doesn't say... This is my beloved First Methodist Church or Second Baptist Church or Third Presbyterian Church in whom I am well pleased. And if you're a member of that, then you're in my beloved. It's not how that goes. And in that passage, referring to our relationship with Jesus, it said, in whom. Just before that, it says, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. To be accepted in the beloved, we have to be in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very familiar passage if you're a Bible student. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Israel tried so hard to be accepted by other nations even to the point of paying them bribes in exchange for temporary protection. And when the bribes ran out, the protection ran out. You know that's what some people's view of salvation is? The Campbellites, certainly, and I'm sure a lot of other religions. In fact, anybody who is of the religion of Cain, which takes many forms, believes there's something they have to do and keep doing to stay saved. Israel would have had to keep paying protection money to Assyria, in our text, in order to stay protected. And when the money ran out, when the gifts ran out, what happened? They were taken captive. They who were once free were placed back into bondage again. And the answer, and as these Israelites not only paid bribes to be accepted by other nations... They also walked in the statutes of the heathen, which we read. But then those heathen nations became their captors. 
You know, one of the premises that we operate on in the United States and in the state of Texas is that if we obey the Constitution, we obey the, the criminal and the civil laws that are given to us, that we won't have to go to jail, that we won't have our money taken from us in, in the way of a fine or a penalty. They just steal it other ways, but not that way. We operate off that premise. And we also should operate off the premise that if we do any of those things wrong, if we steal from somebody, we will be arrested and go to jail. We should also believe that. But Israel believed that if we walk in the statutes of these heathen nations, then we'll be free. And they weren't. They became captives. Why is that? Because in walking in the statutes of the heathen nations, they disobeyed the commandments of the Lord. And the penalty for that is always stiffer than it is for anything we do concerning other nations. And you know the answer to their problems were the same, was the same as ours is today. By faith, they needed to believe upon the Messiah who would one day come to save them from their sins. And for the people living today, rather than walking in the statutes of the heathen, rather than accepting the persons of men or trying to be accepted by men, by churches, they too need to believe on the Messiah who did come to save them from their sins. And now that we know not to keep company with sinners, let's learn how it is that we are supposed to testify of the Lord's salvation in our own lives. For what purpose is your life as a Christian if you go hide under a bushel and you never let your light shine? You don't use any of the talents or gifts God's given you to witness? Even if the talent you have is the simple motor skill of taking a sticky track and putting it on a gas pump and getting back in your car. That's enough. For some people, that's what they can do best. Others are gifted to preach and to teach, to disciple, to witness, and so forth, to translate, to, to write uh, books or poems that direct people to the scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25, now that is a place in the Bible where God is giving through Moses the final message to the children of Israel whom he's delivered from bondage and is about to take into the promised land. God is about to put them in the promised land. Moses won't get to go. So he really is giving his last message and he knows it. And God said to the children of Israel, this day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Now God instructed Israel to let other nations hear about Israel and therefore Israel's God, not to keep company with them. Those other nations were wicked. And a wicked nation should fear a nation that glorifies God. They should. If the United States were a nation that glorified God, and we're not, 
So anybody who says, oh, this is a Christian nation, well, it probably used to be more of a Christian nation than it is now. In fact, I'm certain of it. But if we were a Christian nation, if from our presidency all the way down through all of the offices of government and the people who live as the subjects of those governments lived as a Christian nation, the countries of this world would not want to mess with us. It'd be the same with Israel. Psalm chapter 115 lays out this truth very simply for us. Speaking of what the heathen nations say about Israel, the psalmist wrote there in verse 2, chapter, uh, chapter 115, verse 2, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? In other words, when the heathen nations look at Israel or look at the United States of America, or at 507 Kearley Drive in Fate, Texas. By our actions, by our words, our behavior, they should not ever have the occasion to say, huh, where is his God? Where is their God? Because he goes further down in verses 4 through 9, speaking of the idols of the heathen, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield." What was Israel looking for in King Hosea's time more than anything? They were looking for help and a shield. You think about that? They were looking for help and a shield. They wanted help against their enemies. They wanted a shield to protect them from their enemies. And God said, trust in me. I'm your help and your shield. Not Israel. They wanted Assyria to protect them, so they paid them money. They quit giving the money. The protection ran out. And now they have been taken captive. They were besieged first in Samaria, and now they've been taken captive by the Assyrians. The heathen nations would only say, where is their God? Because the God of Israel cannot be seen by the heathen. And it's a tradition of man that God be tangible, that he be seen, in other words, that you be able to observe with your own senses what he's doing. People believe often that if their prayers aren't answered in the way they think they ought to be answered, that God didn't hear them. Rather than searching the scriptures to see if the thing for which they prayed is scriptural at all. And idolatry, as described by the psalmist, is all about seeing. It's all about what you see. And yet their idols can't see. It's all about what is spoken, what is heard with the ear, yet the idols can't speak. And it's said that the ones who make the idols are just like the idols. They see and they perceive not. In fact, the idols can't see at all. You know, another thing that, a, that an unbeliever has in common with his idols, they're both dead, aren't they? One of them is dead, 
It has no life in it. It's a piece of wood that's been cut off from its life source or its metal or its stone. And the other is just as dead as Adam and Eve were when they sinned against God in the garden and they were cut off from their source of life. We're dead while we live if we're in unbelief. So Israel was to stay far away from those idolatrous nations and we are to do the same. Now, I don't want there to be any confusion about this point. And if there is, ask me after Sunday school, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Been here a little over 10 years, you might have figured this out. I'd rather discuss a biblical question with you than anything else. I like my vegetable trading and talking about other things too. That's fine. But if somebody has a biblical question, you go to the first place in line. All the other conversations can wait. And so don't hesitate if you, had a, if you had some confusion about it. Don't misunderstand this teaching and think, well, Brother Andy said don't keep company with sinners, so I'm going to stop witnessing to people. I don't want to be around anybody who's a sinner. Well, then you can't be around yourself either, can you? Yeah, it's kind of hard to do. Get away from yourself. You ever try to run out of sight of the mirror? Yeah. Close your eyes and open them real quick and think you can open your eyes before you appear in the mirror. Yeah, that's how foolish that is. So don't misunderstand that. After all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, me included. But I'm thankful that even in my sin, a Christian, more than one, witnessed to me. I'm thankful for the, the preachers and the teachers who repeatedly told me about Jesus and his word. And I just want you to know there's a difference in witnessing to the lost and keeping company with them in their evil doings. And don't get those twisted up. And next week we'll look at the next phrase in verse 8 where it says, And of the kings of Israel which they had made. Israel didn't have problems only with the heathen, but with their very own kings. And we'll study that further, God willing, next week. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word and for the way the Spirit of God teaches us, for how you show us truth. I pray now we'd meditate upon what we've learned. And, Lord, commit ourselves as you enable us to obey your word, to not keep company with sinners but to tell them about the gospel and to point them to Jesus, the one with whom they should keep company, that they may do it by faith in what he has done at the cross. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.